is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 190, recorded Monday, November the 24th, 2014. We are in the final countdown towards 200, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't thinking that when I said it, but you're right. You could do the whole song if you wanted to. That's the final countdown. That's uh, that's the song my wife and I were going to walk out uh, in our reception, you know, when they introduced uh, the bride and the groom for the first time. Yep. We were going to walk out to that song, but alas, there was a power outage, so we didn't uh, have the opportunity. I recall the power outage. That's the only reason you didn't do it, eh? The power went out? Yeah, there was no power. I would, well, we were going to get uh, Ken Edge to play it on the piano. I guess we could have. He would have done it, too. He's an amazing guy. Yeah. Well, we, you could have got the crowd to sing it for you like you just did. Yeah. Would have been fun, but man. That was It was really popular uh, because of uh, Arrested Development at that time, and Joe always used that song in his illusion shows. Mm-hmm. And that show is hilarious. So we thought, yeah, final countdown. Of yeah, course, that is a good that is a good choice. Well, if you ever get married again, you can you can use it that time. I plan to. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. All right, uh, Jason. It is just after six p.m. Eastern Standard Time right now. We're recording a little earlier than usual, and that's because I have a busy night coming up ahead of me in exactly. Well, from 6 o'clock, in exactly 14 hours from now, I will be on a plane taking off for beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. Do you think we can get a podcast done in the next 14 hours? Uh, Yeah, okay. Well, especially if we just kind of sign off now. Right, and we're done. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, I'm going to Vancouver, so as usual, if anyone out there sees me walking around Vancouver, I will be there all week. Make sure you say hi, because anytime I go somewhere, I want to make sure... You know, people say hi because I'm friendly, um, but I'll be there all week and it may, I hope not, but it may screw up our feedback show later on this week on Wednesday. Um, we're going to have to see what happens, see how that goes. I know you're committed to doing it, but I will be three time zones away, so I'm not sure how it's going to work out. Anytime. I'll stay up until uh, any hours of the night. I will compile all the feedback and the holy craps for that night. I will uh, make it easy for you. I can't, unfortunately, edit the show and put it out, but anything short of that, I will do. You can do everything else. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Hopefully, we can get it together. But you know what? We're getting ahead of ourselves here. We're, we haven't even yeah, done... Haven't I'll just even... do it myself. Screw it. Sure. Why not? Forget about you. I'm just going to send you the audio file. You'll mix and put it out, whatever. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Why not? How, how, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, but we are getting ahead of ourselves. We still have to do this podcast. And the first thing I want to do is something we promised last week, and that is just to run through the ratings for all the episodes this season so far. Right. All right. I'm going to put together a spreadsheet here. Go ahead. All right. So just to recap, No Sanctuary, the first episode of season five, had 17.29 million viewers. Huge, huge numbers. The next one, Strangers, had 15.14. After that, episode three, which was called Four Walls and a Roof, had 13.8. So we've had a decline, a steady decline there from the top. Yep. Then episode number four, which was Slab Town, that was the Beth episode, that had a little increase, 14.52. They didn't know what they were getting into. Yeah, I guess not. Uh, episode number five, Self Help, dropped again a bit, 13.53 million. 
Number six, Consumed, had 14.07 million. And then last night's episode, Crossed, had 13.33 million people watching it. So two things jump out at me here. Um, Number one, Slabtown, episode number four, had the third most viewers of all seven episodes aired this year. So kind of middle of the road, but upper middle of the road. And then last night's episode, 13.33 million, was the lowest rated episode so far of the season. I'm not so, so sure the, the, the ratings represent the actual episode. I think the ratings kind of represent the episode before. You could be right? onto something there. Because it, it's the hype from the previous episode. You're only as good as your last episode, right? So uh, I, I think that, uh, yeah, so the next week's uh, maybe a little higher, maybe a little lower, depending on the, uh, uh, you know, the overall feeling of how this episode went. Well, let's look at that. Let's analyze that a little bit. The first one was No Sanctuary, 17.29 million. And pretty much everybody agrees that was an amazing episode. Right, but that's a premiere, right? So that's going to get a lot of viewers. It is, for sure. But then the next one, Strangers, had 15.14. So about a 2 million viewer drop, but still a really solid number. Like, you know, most of the people that watched the premiere watched the second one as well. That's true. Then we go, and, and that episode was also, you know, widely praised as being pretty good. Then we go to the third one, 13.8. So another 2 million viewer drop. Well, not quite 2 million, but... Uh, nearly, um, coming off a pretty good episode, but sort of a standard drop. Now, Four Walls and a Roof, I don't remember if the general consensus was good on that one, but I think it was. I think the first three episodes of the season are considered pretty highly. And then number four, which was Slabtown, that not everybody didn't like, but it was at least very polarizing in its, uh, in its critique, had a little bit of an uptick. So what you're saying is that people liked one, two, and three, especially number, well, especially number one, but they liked number three. So that brought the viewers in for number four, but then episode five dropped again um, to the lowest point so far at that time in the season after episode number four. Right. Yeah. I I think you may be onto something there. It's sort of like People see one episode and then they ride the wave into the next one. And if it was a really good episode, you're going to get a lot of people sticking with it. And if it wasn't so great, or at least it didn't, it didn't rate so well, you're going to have a bigger, a bigger drop off for the next one. Um, the, the thing I don't understand the most is that why I just assume everybody would watch every episode. I mean, I do. Yeah. And most, most fans do watch all of them, regardless of what happens. But I'm like that with any TV show, right? Like I, I uh, you know, either, either I watch all of them or I watch the first first few and go, Meh, and then I'm I'm done, I'm gone, that's it, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, you know, I just I watch the TV way t- I <laughs> I watch the way TV I do. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know what you mean. You watch the TV the way you do. <laughs> Word usement not good today. Maybe it's been it's been a few weeks like that for you. You're, you're not two episodes. Your... It was this episode and last episode, and the one before that was fine. You're not doing your vocal warm-ups like you should. Yeah, I should. All right. Molly Ringwald ate my wristwatch. That's a good one. <laughs> <clears throat> um, okay, so based on that theory then, 13.33 for last night's episode, which was the lowest episode rated this season so far, does that mean that next week's 
midseason finale is going to end up being a little bit of a ratings disappointment because people seem to be down on this one. Or no, it means we don't really know because the ratings were low on this one because the one before people were down on. I, I think the uh, the previous episode is one of many factors. There's that, so that's the enjoyment factor. There's also a hype factor. There's also an advertising factor. Uh, there's also, uh, you know, there's there's all kinds of reasons why uh, people don't watch any particular episode. This weekend in the uh, in the states is Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. so I don't know if that affects things up or down. I have no idea. Are more people home and therefore more likely to watch it, or are more people traveling and with their family and ready and more likely to be doing family stuff like Thanksgiving dinner? I don't know if they do that on Sundays. I guess they do that on Thursday. I, I'm not sure when they do it Who knows? down there. It probably varies a little bit, but yeah, you're right. I mean, it is a holiday weekend, so that may mean there's more people hanging around their their homes or their parents' house or whatever, and, and they're sitting in front of the TV, but it also might mean a lot of people are stuck on trains and buses and planes and they're traveling somewhere. So yeah, we will automobiles. see. I think though, um, after we do our, our recap of this, I, you know, spoiler for the recap, I think this was a pretty good episode. So if, if people agree with me and they feel like it's a good episode, that's a good sign for next week's and we'll see how it goes. Right. All right. Well, speaking of this week's episode, let's get into our recap. Crossed. Crossed. All right. Thank you, Floyd and Stephanie from the internet. Those were a couple of good title reads. (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) This episode is number seven, of course. It's called Crossed. It is the penultimate episode before the mid-season break. Mm -hmm. And uh, we start with a black screen and we hear some loud bangs. Now, at first, I thought these were gunshots, but it didn't take me very long to realize that, no, they don't really sound like gunshots. And when we do get picture, we uh, find that it's Sasha, and she's using an axe to chop up the pews in the uh, church. Yeah, that looks like it would be a tough job with an axe. Yeah, well, I don't know. What else would you use? A saw, maybe. A chainsaw? Mm-hmm. Bandsaw? I don't know. Some Something powered, but it just it seems like it would be a lot of work with an axe, because that's... Uh, that's all aged hardwood, right? It's not. Uh, that's not easily chopped. Uh, no, that's true. But I'm. I don't know. You start swinging an axe, you might. You might get through. They'd break apart where the where the wood joins, probably, right? Yeah. Anyway, well, no, she... actually, the uh, the wood itself would uh, would break apart. Actually, it's uh, when you glue a joint. A properly glued joint is stronger than the surrounding wood. The wood mm. itself will break before the glued joint will. Interesting. Well, either way, having an axe is a helpful tool. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to do it by hand because you couldn't. What would you do? You'd have to be the Hulk. The Hulk could do it. Oh, the Hulk would make that sucker, the whole thing in the kindling. Oh, yeah. Bring the Hulk in. (laughs) If you have a Hulk and you need to chop up some pews, bring him in. If not, Axe will do the job. Yeah. Uh, So she's chopping those up. Tyrese and Daryl are in the back there tearing out the organ pipes. For some reason. They're just dismantling this uh, sucker. And Tyrese says that it's He's that he's it's glad it's glad he's glad that Daryl wasn't here for it, meaning Bob's death. And uh, he says that Sasha isn't really holding on. She isn't really hanging in. Yeah. Um, So I guess she's taking out some of her frustration on those pews, though. And uh, so it turns out they're using the pipes, the the organ pipes to wedge into the ground outside the front door of the church as kind of like Walker deterrent, like they used to have at the uh, prison. Right. 
So a human can easily walk around them and not get stuck, but a zombie will just shamble up and then get stuck on those pipes as he's trying to get to the door. So, Well, in my humble opinion, a zombie would shamble up and then push them over, and then they would go to the door. <laughs> so you don't think that they would do anything? Not really, no. You need what uh, what Morgan did uh, at uh, in Clear. Mm-hmm. You, you know those big spiky things that are you know securely mounted in. Mm-hmm. Those those things are just. You know, I, I'm not sure what the the point is. They're musical instruments. They're not you know solid metal. They're like they're finely tuned instruments. They probably would collapse under any actual pressure from uh, the side. You know, I wonder what organ pipes are made of. Is you think it's aluminum or steel or what? Uh, well, I don't know. It's probably some kind of, uh, I don't think it's steel cause that'd be too heavy. I think it's some kind of alloy. It's probably aluminum. It might be aluminum. Might be, know. you know, aluminum, zinc, tin kind of thing. That could brass. be. Brass. Yeah, probably maybe. Brass. Brass would be brass colored. Yeah. Like I, I don't know. You know, I've never really considered what organ pipes would be made of, but they're putting them there. I think they would be, they would, okay, you know what? At the very least, the zombie would knock them over and you'd hear them coming. Oh, that's true. Right? Maybe, yeah, absolutely. They wouldn't necessarily get wedged on one, but you'd you'd hear them coming. So it's it's worth it to do it. But basically, they're fortifying this church. And yeah. uh, G- Gabriel's there, and he asks Daryl, are you going to take the cross too? And Daryl says, yeah, if we have to. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I don't care. This is your home. This is your church. But we're going to tear it apart just to make sure it's safe. Yep. And we see Noah and Rick, and there's the rest of them there boarding up the windows, and Rick says to Michonne that he wants to go to Atlanta, but he can't let him. And the he he's referring to is Carl. Right. So they have come up with a plan, and they're going to go. And it turns that, turns out that everyone leaves except for Michonne, Carl, and Gabe, who stay back at the prison. And Judith. And Judith, yeah. She's not much help on a run to the city for a, a rescue mission. Well, not yet. Not until Carl trains her how to use a weapon. Which, yeah, yeah. You know, like- I give her a week or so. Well, that's what Carl wants to do. So we see Rick saying goodbye to Carl and Judith. He leaves out the door, and Carl boards up the door of the church from the inside. He starts, you know, hammering nails through boards into the door to make it safe. Judith is crying, and Gabriel starts furiously scratching and rubbing at bloodstains on the floor. Did you notice that Rick left with the orange backpack? Oh, he did? The the orange backpack made another appearance. It's good that they still have that orange backpack. Yeah. You know, if you get a if you get an orange backpack that's usable, you don't want to throw it out. But no. No, you don't. I, I, I was looking at the backpack and I noticed the uh what I think was a rifle barrel sticking out the top of it. There's uh, something I'm not sure. Something sticking out the top of it, but I didn't I didn't think that oh my gosh, there's the orange backpack again. So Where did they get the nails? Um I don't know. Maybe the church had a supply of nails. What? Okay. It might. I mean, church needs to do repairs once in a while. You know, there's probably a shed out back and they've got a lawnmower to cut the grass and maybe a box of nails. I have a box. uh, I have multiple boxes of screws, but I don't think I have. Yeah, I got a couple of finishing nails, but I don't have any real construction nails. Oh, well. Then again, I don't live in a church. No, you you don't. You live in a house, which should maybe have some nails on hand, but you know, what are you (laughs) going to do? Go buy some nails. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've got some boxes of nails out in the garage, so. Uh, it's not beyond the realm of possibility to have nails, I don't think. Okay, and and once uh, once they leave, there's uh, there's a quick shot of a pew that's been cut up, uh, so that uh, Father Gabriel is looking at the uh, at the pew, that's all in shambles, right? Okay, 
Do you remember that shot? No. Oh, okay. So he was looking at this. Uh, it's the pew that Sasha was uh, was chopping with the axe, and there's splinters all over the place. There's the, you know, all the, there's just, it's a big mess, except for the pew looks like it's cleanly, cleanly cut in half. Like, just like, it looked like they got a big chainsaw and cut the thing right in half, one solid straight line. I don't know how the hell they did that. But then I have to assume that if they have an axe, and they have some nails. There's got to be a saw, right? There's probably a saw. Good. <laughs> okay. So well, it just seems like a lot of work. There's no indication of a saw. We only see an axe, and yet this thing is cleanly cut, clearly not by an axe. All right. Well, what were they doing cutting them up and chopping them? Just for firewood? No, they were. Cho- that's what they were nailing the uh, over the windows. Oh, duh. Of course. They, they were cutting would. boards out of them. They needed to get boards out of them. That's right. That's right. Of course they were. All right. Well, anyways, that's the cold open. <laughs> so, but no uh, hammer. Did you notice? Nobody had a hammer. No, that is weird. They were using one of the posts to hammer nails. Yeah. So they had all kinds of tools except for a hammer. Well, you know what? I can't explain exactly what's going on with the tool selection at the church, but they I used have what they had. three have. hammers and no nails at my house. Well, Three hammers. You're at all... least. <laughs> you need to buy some nails. We've established that. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, I just did the tool selection at the church is just a little off, in my opinion. Okay. Well, you know, I guess if Father Gabriel had known the apocalypse was coming, he would have gone up and stocked up, gone out and stopped, stocked up on tools and saws and nails and stuff. Various things. All right. When we come back from the credits, we have the truck driving down the road. Sasha and Tyrese are in the back, and Tyrese is trying to comfort her about Bob, but Sasha doesn't want to hear any of it and just sort of cuts him off and says, don't. Not interested right now. Yeah. We go to the hospital. So we're not going to stick with one group this time, Jason. Which which I thought we might. I thought this episode was going to be all Rick and the gang, but no, we're getting different different scenes here. Which is how this should have played out since the beginning, in my humble, you know, lowly opinion. Yeah, well, we'll we'll get to that. I totally agree with you. But uh, right now we go to the hospital. We have Beth looking in at Carol in her bed, still unconscious. Dr. Edwards comes in to check on her, and Beth leaves. So not a lot going on in that scene, but yep. it, you know, does establish the fact that Carol's still there and she's she's unconscious, and establishes that Beth is mopping. She is mopping. She's taken over uh, Noah's part of Noah's duties. I think. Yeah, I wonder if she does the ironing now. She probably does. We go to the fire truck gang, and Glenn is standing holding a very shiny silver gun. Did you notice how shiny his handgun is? It was pretty, uh, it was pretty polished. Yeah, very, he's a polished gun, that guy. And he's standing there looking at the walker herd, uh, but back at the fire truck, he comes to report that they have no idea that they're there. So everything's fine. The walkers aren't coming closer. That's good for them. Tara's sitting there putting some water in bottles and she has marked them Gratum, <laughs> Gratum, Team Gratum. And that of Gratum. course is Team Glenn, Rosita, Eugene, Abraham, Tara, and Maggie. Right. Which I liked. She's named the group and she jokes about getting a tattoo with that on it. On her knuckles. On her knuckles. Yeah, I guess so. Team Gratum. Great M. It's good. Uh, Eugene's still passed out on the ground, so he's not in great shape. And uh, passed out. He's unconscious, which is bad, bad, bad for that long. Yeah, it is. Well, passed out and unconscious I use interchangeably. Okay. Passed out means you're drunk and you fell asleep. Okay. You can Unconscious pass out. means you've been uh, 
you you've been hit on the head and you're unconscious. That's like coma territory. That's bad. Like losing consciousness when you hit your head for a few seconds is bad. L- you know, not waking up for a day is horrifying. No, I totally agree with you. There are other reasons you can you can uh, pass out though, isn't there? Other well, than just getting really, drunk. Well, passing out means that you fell asleep unintentionally because of something external. He's not asleep. Okay, you're right. But um, yeah, he's concussed and his he's just unconscious. Yeah. Um, Which is real bad. Isn't, real bad. Yeah. But passing out doesn't always mean falling asleep for some reason. You can, when you um, are... Uh, when you lose consciousness because you are in a fighter jet and the G-force forces the blood out of your brain, is that passing out or being unconscious? That, my friend, is G-lock. <laughs> of course. There's another word for that. <laughs> gravitational loss of consciousness. So it's neither. G-lock. Yeah. It's it's slightly different. You, you, uh, you get tunnel vision and then all the blood drains from your head and you're just like, that's it. Um, I, your brain can't function anymore. So it goes to sleep. It doesn't have any oxygen. It's done. All right, fine. So there's a word for everything. So <laughs> he is unconscious. I'm sorry. I will not call it passed out ever again. No, I just, yeah, sorry, semantics. No, but you're right. You're right. He's not passed out. Uh, Maggie says they can't move him, but he really needs to wake up because even she says it's bad that he hasn't woken up yet. Uh, so Rosita goes over to Abe, who is still kneeling in the road, and she tries to give him water, but he slaps the bottle away. And then he stands up threateningly at her when she yells at him to get it Mm -hmm. together. Um, He doesn't do anything, though. He just stands up because Maggie points a gun at him and says, sit down or I'll put you down. Yeah. She means it, too. She is taking no uh, BS here. She's like, you better better take it easy there, big guy. Um, But Abe, Abe turns to her, but then he just looks at her and resumes his kneeling position. So, Maggie, a couple of things about this pistol that she's, uh, this revolver that she's holding there. Right. First of all, it's loaded. Like, there's bullets in the uh, in the chambers, which I like to see because a lot of uh, prop departments will not do that, not actually load something into the uh, into the round into the, the chamber. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it doesn't look like it's loaded. It's like I can see that that's not loaded. So that's the first thing. I like that they did that. The second thing, what I didn't like they they I didn't like they did, is that uh, she cocked the 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 pistol. Mm-hmm. Right to to get uh, Abraham's attention, and yeah. then when he turned back, she just put it back in the holster, like fully cocked, back in the holster. What, Bad, yeah, because you'll shoot your foot off. But what do you call that? Uncocking it? Uh, you well, you let the hammer down gently. All right. So you, once but, it's uh, cocked, you don't have to fire it. You can uncock it. You can uncock it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, putting it in your holster like fully cocked is just. It's a recipe for shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. I hear you. But uh, maybe she just wanted to do that, you know, for the effect, and then she'd walk away and uncock it later. Well, okay. Sure. Either way, bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. Right? (laughs) Maggie needs to take the advanced class. All right. Well, if anyone does. Uh, But so Abraham resumes his kneeling position. We go to Rick, and he is outlining the plan to get into the hospital. And he says things like, after dark, they'll sneak in, cut a lock on a door, take the stairs to the fifth floor. And he basically gives everyone targets to kill, like police officers. And Rick says he'll go after Don. 
Um, but Noah then says the wards will help, so they'll have more help on their side, which is interesting. But Tyrese is not convinced by this plan. He is worried about people fighting back, and then it'll just be a giant shootout and everyone will get killed. So he suggests that they kidnap a couple of cops, take them hostage, and they'll trade them. They'll trade cops mm. for their people. And everybody goes home. Everybody goes home. Nobody has to fire a shot. Now, Rick says that this might work, but his plan will work, which... And he, has the advantage of killing everybody that Rick doesn't like. That's true. That seems which to be Which you thing always, always, always do. Always, always kill everybody. let Rick kill everybody. <laughs> because if you don't, they come back to bite you in the ass. Right. Or the foot, in this case. Uh, now, Rick, yeah, so he says his plan will work, and then Daryl, he, he pipes up, and he sides with Tyrese. I yep. must admit, I was a little surprised here. Daryl always seems like a right-hand man to Rick, but he went with Tyrese in this scene. I think Daryl is the, uh, the voice of reason and the, uh, the tempered hostility in, in this season particular. So he, 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 you know, whacked, uh, Carol's hand when she went to shoot, uh, Noah. Yep. So he's, he's saving people. He's, I think particularly in this season, he is trying to do as little harm to humanity as he can. Sure. But isn't that a, like a huge turnaround for, for Daryl Dixon? Like over the years, he was originally a bit of a hothead, you know, he would act before he thinked, thunk. He'd act before he thinking. <laughs> Thought it. Yeah, that's right. And now look at him. Now he's, he's, you know, saving people who are about to get shot by his friend. And now he's going for the, he's going for the less violent of the two plans. He's done that in the past though. Right? We talked about this, I think a couple of weeks ago or last episode or something, uh, where when he was, uh, when, when he was with Merle and they, they came across that carload full of people, he was the voice of reason. Right. And stopped Merle from killing them all, essentially. Mm -hmm. So he's done that in the past. And, you know, sure, he's a bit, of, a bit of a hothead. He's a danger to all squirrels everywhere. But I think he's a friend to man. Mm, danger to squirrels, friend to man. Yeah. That's, so he should get that printed I, on a T-shirt. I think I will. And uh, so I think Daryl's, uh, he's the voice of reason here. And I think they're setting him up to be that voice of reason. I think maybe, you know, the act of stopping Carol from shooting him was, you know, partly plot device, but partly character set up for this position. So that it doesn't seem like it's way out of nowhere. Sure. I like that idea. And I, I like the idea that if Daryl's going to stick around for a while and we have, which, you know, for everything we know, he, he's going to be on this show until it, till it ends. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if, if Rick is going to be a, a bit of a hothead and he's going to be the one who doesn't take prisoners and goes in and kill a, kills everyone, Daryl's going to be the other side of that coin and they'll be sort of a good team. They'll balance each other out a little bit, right? That's interesting. I like I like the way they're setting that up. We'll see how it goes from here. Um, but we go to a commercial, and when we come back, we're back at the church, and Father Gabe is still scrubbing the floor. Carl asks him to choose a weapon. He lays out a bunch of knives and stuff in front of him, asks him to choose a weapon, and he offers to teach him how to defend himself. Yeah. Carl says that Gabriel is lucky that the church has lasted this long, and you can't stay in one place anymore. You have to know how to fight. And as Carl is saying this, we get a, a long lingering shot on Michonne and she just has a, a serious sort of knowing look on her face. Like I, it, it was a very intense 
stare from Michonne. Yep. And, you know, I know she's kind of known for that kind of thing, but it was especially prominent here, so much so that I thought, oh, my God, Carl, you better turn around because Michonne sees something really serious right behind you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I think she was just sort of absorbing what Carl was saying about how you got to know how to fight. So, um, yeah. Uh, and Reese has a hammer. Sorry. Oh, why wouldn't he use his hammer? I don't know. Just sorry. Just, I don't know what made me think of it. And I just blurted it out. I'm sorry. I cut you off mid sentence. Tyrese has a hammer. They could have used that for nailing all the nails. Except Tyrese is gone at this point. Well, he was there, wasn't he? When they were hammering the, the, putting up the boards. Everybody was there. Everybody was pitching in. Where was Tyrese's hammer? Well, he was probably using his hammer at that point, but after he had left and they shut the door, then that's why oh. the hammer was gone. He had to use the, the post. Carl had to they use the post. They all had weapons. They could, he could have taken a knife and left the hammer. Okay, so forget it. I'm sorry. I interrupted. <laughs> you're right, still, I can't believe you're still <laughs> thinking about what tools they have at the church. Yeah. <laughs> he does have a hammer, though. You're right. Hey, yeah, Tyrese, I know that hammer is your pride and joy, but can we borrow it to maybe use on a nail here? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is my zombie hammer. That's right. Get your own hammer. Don't get your own nail hammer. This is for zombies. Don't right. touch my hammer. Um. All right. What the hell's going on? Uh. So Gabe, he chooses a machete, not a hammer. I bet you there was a yeah. hammer in that row of tools. There no. wasn't. I looked. Okay. Good. <laughs> he chooses a machete, and then Carl says he's not holding it right because zombie skulls aren't so soft all the time. Uh. Sorry, Carl. Yes, they are. <laughs> From everything we've seen, they're rather soft. Yeah. And at this point, Gabe gets a little upset, and he says he needs to go lie down. It happens to me. I get so pissed off, I have to take a nap. Well, that's kind of what happened here. He he got at least, he got upset because, you know, I think he's realizing that Carl is right, and he's like, oh, I got to go get away for a minute. I just need to rest. I don't like this anymore. Well, you ever get so behind in your work or in what you have to do that uh, everything is so overwhelming and so much stuff has to be done right now that the only thing you can do is go take a nap? Um, I have been in situations where the only thing I can do is just walk away and clear my head for a minute, but I've never actually taken a nap, no. Yeah. But maybe I should. Yeah. All right, well, we cut back over to the hospital and Beth is mopping the floor. So she's still doing some mopping. Don is talking to another cop behind them about finding Noah, and this other cop suggests that they unplug Carol because she's using too many resources. Mm-hmm. So at this point, Beth turns around and accuses him of charging his DVD player every day and wasting power. And For she's, porn, probably. Well, I don't know, because they bring in these young women for them to have their way with. I mean, unless this yeah, guy... Yeah, but what do you need, how many DVDs are you going to have? Like, why do you need to charge your DVD player every day, even if you have, like, 15 movies? Maybe, 20 movies. Maybe he likes to watch, you know, The Wedding Singer over and over and over again. Well, maybe, but it's more likely that he's using it for porn. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> You're probably right. Um, but Beth says, what good is this place if we can't save people? And they're just so eager to turn off the life support on Carol. They just want to save the people that they, that they don't need to save. The people that they don't need to save, the ones that they yeah. could actually help, they don't want to? That's right. Well, it seems that way. The only people that they actually save are the ones that probably don't need it anyway. Yeah, I right? guess the so. The ones that actually need help, they just unplug. Fuck. 
yeah, they give them 24 hours. And if they're not, you know, awake and healthy and everything's fine, they're like, ah, forget it. That's it. Yeah. And you hit somebody with a car, 24 hours is not enough time. No, it's not enough time. She bounced off the windshield, landed on the ground. She needs a bit of time to get better. Yeah. Um, so Dawn says, nope, we're going to take her off. She's not worth the effort. And then she tells Beth that she just killed that woman. Um, and this is, this is basically Dawn sort of showing, making a power play here, showing power in front of the other officer, I think, because after that guy leaves, she, she gives Beth the key to the drug locker and tells her that she has to save Carol's life now. Yeah. This is a sign of a horrible leader. It's not, uh, it's, it's not someone that is leading this group of people. Her philosophy is I better go find out which way my people are going so that I can go and lead them. Right. That, that, that's not the sign of a good leader. A good leader is, I think we should go in this direction. Follow me. Yeah. No, that's not what, that's not what Dawn is doing at all here. She's just trying to play into what, what she thinks will keep her in power. Right. Which is not a leadership point of view. That's, uh, I don't know what that is, but that is not a leader. No, no. But that's kind of been clear too, that that's what's going on here. Like Dawn, and and people have come out and said it essentially, right? The um, Gorman couple back in Slabtown, like you know, he said Dawn's not going to be the leader forever. People aren't going to stand for beside her anymore. And even later in this episode, there's some information about you know Dawn's leadership skills and so on. Um, but at this point, uh, a message comes in on the radio on her shoulder and says they heard a gunshot. Dawn responds to go and check it out, and then she tells Beth that uh, she thought she was weak. But Beth proved her wrong. Mm-hmm. So Dawn is all over the place in this scene. She's trying to hold on to power. She's trying to give Beth, you know, some power, I think. And she's sending her people out to investigate gunshots. I mean, there's a lot going on here. We go back to the fire truck crew, though. And they're talking about going to get some water by a nearby creek. Then Glenn, Tara, and Rosita leave to go to the creek. They are walking along through the forest. They pass some walkers trapped under a fallen um, hydro pole or electricity pole, whatever it is. Yeah. How long has it been since the zombie apocalypse? It has been 500, uh, 500 and some days. Okay. Uh, how long does it think? How long do you think it takes for a hydro pole to get weak enough to fall over? Well, it really depends on the state of the hydro pole. <laughs> you know, it could have been on its last legs just before the apocalypse, and then a strong wind came and blew it over. Yeah, but none of the trees surrounding it. I mean, just it's a little odd that this one pole just fell over. Maybe I would look into that. I would if you know, I walk by them, like why the hell did this pole fall over? That is the weirdest thing. I think if that pole had fallen, I wouldn't have given it a second thought. I'd just be like, oh, there's a pole down, and there's some walkers under it. Maybe someone knocked it down. Maybe it was chopped down. Well, if all the poles were down, that means something happened that pulled the wire, right? Like there was a really good powerful force on the wire that, you know, yanked all these poles, but that probably just would have yanked the wires off the pole. You know, telephone poles don't just fall down, especially this one just broke kind of in the middle and it just, it, it, I don't understand exactly what's <laughs> happening here. Maybe somebody uh, saw these walkers coming and all they had was a chainsaw and they thought, I'll just cut down this pole to maybe hit these zombies instead of using the chainsaw on the actual zombies, because that's gross. Maybe there was something up at the top of the pole that somebody wanted, so they cut it down, got what they wanted, and moved on. What, like a squirrel? Yes, like a squirrel. (laughs) Maybe a Dixon had been through here, did a little squirrel hunting, and that's it. 
I don't. You don't know. have to do that. You know how to get a squirrel out of a tree, don't you? Climb the tree. Yak like a nut. Oh, good one. <laughs> Tell that one to your kids. I will. They'll enjoy that. All right. So there's walkers trapped under this fallen mystery pole. And uh, Tara jokes about the walkers just staying there. Don't move, guys. Everything, you know, there's nothing for you anywhere else. Just stay there. And the others don't react too well to her joke. They haven't really lightened up yet. You know, you got to see the humor in things sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, Tara says that as they're going, she says that Eugene may have been pretty much useless, but he had one skill to keep himself alive. And that was pretending to be smart and deceiving other people. And he used it. And uh, you can't blame him for that. But Glenn still seems to be a little bit mad. Yes, I can, he says. That's well, he doesn't right. say, but that's what he means. That's what he means. Uh, we go back over to Maggie. Uh, she is taking a ladder off the back of the fire truck. She carries it to the front, puts it over Eugene, and then drapes a blanket on it so he'll be in the shade. I mean, that's mm-hmm. nice of her. Otherwise, he'd just fry on the hot pavement there. Yeah, probably. Abraham continues to kneel on the pavement behind the fire truck. You'd think his knees would be really sore by now. I can't even get into that position that he's in. Like, I physically can't do it. It would cause me too much pain and I would topple over. I have bad knees. Yeah. Well, he clearly has, like, some superhuman knees because he's been kneeling there for a while. Maggie walks over and she tells him to get over himself. You're not the only one who's lost something today. It's not going to get any better than this. But he's just still kneeling there, uh, staring at the staring at the ground. Inside the hospital, Beth goes into Doctor Edwards' office and she asks him what medicine Carol should have. So she's doing her research. She needs to know what medicine she needs to get for Carol. And he realizes that Beth has the key to the medicine cabinet, and he says that if Don gave that to you, it wasn't out of the kindness of her heart. Right. Don is up to something. Um. And then he has a line about something about, I was trying to save my life, still wondering if I did. I'm not sure exactly what he was referring to here. Do you remember the line? No. Well, I I remember the line, but it was that other doctor that came in. Remember that uh, they brought in another person that was, uh, was a doctor. And then he gave Beth the wrong, or told Beth to use the wrong medicine in order to kill that person. Right. So I think that's what he was trying to do. Because if they found another doctor that was better then why would they keep him around? Why the hell would they need two doctors? So maybe that's what he's talking about. Oh, he's referring to that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He was trying to save his life, but he's not sure, or he's, you know, still wondering if he, if he did, maybe he'd be better off, you know, dead at this point. Right. Or buggering off with Noah, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I felt like it was a little bit out of nowhere in this scene. Uh, but it's possible that I just, you know, missed something, but, um, in the end, he tells her what medicine that Carol will need, and he wishes her good luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good luck in your mission. We go back to the stream. Oh, hopefully he's not lying about the medicine this time. Oh, God. Hope God. not, yeah. He's untrustworthy. Yeah, really. Um, yeah, that would be that would be something. Yeah, I'll just keep lying about medicine over and over again. That's the best way. Yeah, to what she people. needs is, uh, you know, some kind of dental lubricant. <laughs> I don't even know if they have such a thing. Why would you need a dental lubricant? I bet they do, man. They, I bet they do. Every once in a while, you need slippery teeth. I'm just saying. <laughs> you never know when you might, so you better carry some with you all the time. That's right. All right. Uh, can we go back to the stream? Yeah. We go to the stream, and uh, the stream is full of gross water, so that's no good. So Rosita, she MacGyvers together a, a water filter 
out of a bottle and some rocks or something, it looks like. Do you have any idea how this water filter worked? It's her sleeve. It's She ripped her sleeve off and yeah. tucked it into the water bottle and then put, pours pouring water through it. So the sleeve is capturing the larger of the particles. And letting the water drip through. Letting, letting the water drip through and then you boil the water to get rid of all the microbes and stuff that'll give you the runs and then uh, you're good to go. All right. Good to know. That's why you're not, because uh, if you boil dirty water, what you get is, uh, uh, you know, you get water with no microbes, but a whole lot of dirt and leaves and stuff in it, which is still, you know, not great for drinking. So this way you get the best of both worlds. You get, you know, you filter out all the sand and crap and then you boil it for the microbes. Got it. Just takes a long time. That was a slow drip. Yeah. I'm not sure they needed to go to the extent that, uh, uh, that she did. Basically you just have to filter out the sand and stuff. Mm-hmm. So you, you get water from the fastest part of the stream and then you put, you know, you drape a cloth over it to make sure the, the real garbage, like the sandy stuff stays out. And then you boil the crap out of it because that's the stuff that's going to get you, not the sand. A little you sand. Probably go, a little sand never hurt anybody. You know, you take a spoonful of sand, you'd probably be okay. Yeah. Unless clean, it's. Clean you right out. Unless but, it's glass. Uh, don't eat glass. Sand is glass. Well, don't eat large chunks of glass. <laughs> <laughs> yes, don't eat, or, you know, big rocks, really. Yeah, bad idea. Or anything sharp, like nails. Uh, no, also bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tax. Yeah. So, all right, so that's good to know. Good to know how to uh, how to create a water filter like that. Uh, but Tara asks how she met Abraham, and she explains that he jumped in when uh, to help her fighting some walkers at some point, and then he asked for her help because she could clearly, you know, she was clearly valuable, and so she joined him and Eugene in their mission to save the world. Mm-hmm. Good little backstory there. Uh, when she finishes, they see a fish causing ripples in the water, and Glenn says, we got to catch that fish. Yeah, we're going fishing now. Really needs a fish. All right, we go to Atlanta, and we have the cop car from the hospital coming out toward the gunshot that they heard. They chase Noah, and they knock him down with the car. <laughs> right. It was a pretty well-executed maneuver. He's running. They spin the car in front of him, and he basically runs into the front hood and falls down. Fun. Yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, they get out, get guns on him, but then the rest of the group show up with their guns raised too, and the cops have to drop their weapons and kneel. That's at Rick's request, of course. Yep. I have two problems. All right, let's hear them. One is they're all bunched up. Like the whole, our whole group of intrepid heroes uh, come out of the same spot and basically are all in the, you know, they're in a clump. Don't clump up. Yeah, but if you're across from each other, don't you risk firing and shooting each other instead? You don't go directly across. What you do is you create like a V. Like a semicircle. You spread out. Okay. You spread out so that, uh, you know, a spray of bullets won't kill everybody. Right. Right? Or a grenade. I don't know if they have a grenade, but they had a grenade in the first season, so why wouldn't somebody have a grenade now? You throw a grenade, if you're all bunched up, the grenade's going to get you all. Mm -hmm. So spread the F out. Just spread out. Uh, you know, even the, uh, even the three stooges, uh, had that down, <laughs> right? Where Mo would slap the two of them and say, spread out. You yeah. remember that? So, that well, much? no, but I take your word for it. <laughs> All right. The second issue is, uh, uh, keep somebody on watch, overwatch. Like don't have, like, first of all, they're in a clump and nobody's looking the other direction. Everybody's. Uh, you know, a couple of guys, three people on two cops is uh, probably okay to keep them uh, under control. Have somebody, you know, 
keeping watch as to what's going on in the, in the surrounding area. Instead of everyone staring at the same thing. That's right. Yeah. And Rick would know this because he's a cop. Yeah, well, it's been a while. He's losing his chops. Right. Anyway. All right. So problems, problems with the scene. And, yeah. uh, you know, it, uh, it doesn't really work out for them so well anyways, because Rick offers them some water, says they need to talk. And Lamson, who is one of the cops there, asks Rick if he's a cop which is interesting. He recognized immediately that Rick knew sort of what he was doing in this scene, even though you say he doesn't have any idea. <laughs> right. Um, and another interesting thing that happens before the other car drives up is that Noah says that Lamson is one of the good ones. Right. Which is interesting. So Noah is kind of supporting this guy saying, you know, yeah, we're going to take him hostage, but this guy isn't one of the worst people there, which is interesting. But then suddenly another car drives up out of nowhere. There's a bunch of shooting. There's a shootout. They pull up and they grab the the police prisoners and uh, drive off. Mm-hmm. So the plan didn't go so well. They chase them around a building to a FEMA evac location. And right. there are a lot of mangled zombies on the ground at this point. That there are. A lot of just zombies just smashed and burnt into the pavement. It was really nasty. Uh, they chase the cops away um, because they get their car stuck in one of the zombies, so they get out and run. Everyone chases them except Daryl. He hangs back. He checks the car, and then he goes to check a trailer. And out of nowhere, he's attacked by one of the police officers. And they have a fist fight down on the ground, and uh, a zombie comes really close to Daryl. Yep. Chomp, chomp, chomp. Really close. Um uh, and so Daryl's on the bottom now. He's being strangled by this guy. It doesn't look good for him, but he reaches around for anything he can find. And he grabs a zombie by the eye sockets, basically. Gets yep. his fingers right in there, tears its head off, and then bonks the guy with the zombie skull. I, as soon as they went down on the ground, I figured Daryl was going to beat that guy with somebody else's arm. That's what I thought. Well, you but, weren't uh, too far off. He beat that guy with somebody else's skull. Yeah, going bowling ball on that guy was just, uh, was really gross. And I figured that they, you know, Daryl would grab him by the back of the head, rip the head off, and then use it as a, as a chomper to bite him. But I guess it makes more sense to just bonk him with the, uh, what I assume is some kind of nerf head, because all the zombie heads are soft. So it'd be like, ow, stop it. And you get hit on the head with one of those things. I guess it was enough to, to, you know, get him, get him off though. But boy, you're right. Imagine if he had ripped the head off and then turned it around and just shoved the zombie's mouth up against the guy's neck. That would, that would have been amazing. (laughs) I mean, maybe too much to ask in that sort of moment of panic, but still that would have been crazy. Um, so he bonks the guy and then suddenly Rick is there back and he's got his gun out and he shoots the zombie and he, uh, he doesn't shoot the dude, but they both, they all get up and Rick Oh, he comes this close to shooting him and just executing him, basically. But Daryl says, no, Rick, three is better than two. We have three of them now. That's true. Voice of reason again. Once again, the voice of reason. You're absolutely right. Daryl is really becoming the voice of reason on this show. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Commercial. And after, we are now inside. This is kind of like a warehouse type location. And... The cops start, as they're walking, they start saying they can't make the deal work because Don won't trade for these cops. Right. Um, they tell them that a bunch of the cops want Don out, so we know there's some dissent amongst the ranks there. And they suggest that they let them go. 
they'll go back, they'll take Dawn out themselves, and then let their friends go. Which sure seems a little too easy, I think. I'm not surprised our <laughs> heroes don't go for that deal. That sounds like a lovely idea. Why don't you leave, uh, I don't know, leave your wallets here just so we can trust you. Yeah, so we know you're not just going to run off and never come back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lamson, though, he says no, they can make this deal work. He's known Don for eight years, and he says they just have to talk to her, and he says he can help. So... They, right. all these police, police officers seem to have a little bit of a different idea or they're playing different angles to try and get out of this situation. Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Lamson comes off looking okay in this scene. Right. We go back to the river and the, the uh, Glenn and Rosita and Tara are there and they're, now they're killing the zombies under the pole and they're searching them and they're cutting the netting out of their jackets, which I guess is going to be useful. Tara. Well, oh, these were pole line workers. Like they're both, they were wearing uniforms and the uniforms had a mesh lining in oh, them. Oh, see, that's, they were up the pole. It fell up down. The pole. Yeah. Then that's, that's why they got trapped under the pole, but still doesn't explain why the pole snapped where it did, because it snapped at about, uh, maybe 10 feet in the air. So it's not like a whole bunch of zombies were pushing on this thing, trying to get it to, uh, to fall down because these two guys had shimmied up a pole. So it, it explains why they're trapped under the pole that fell, but not why the pole fell. Maybe the pole was damaged. They were there repairing it. It didn't go so well. It fell down and they got stuck. Okay. Uh, there's, there's, there's gotta be a reason, but you're right. They're, they're workers, which I didn't pick up on before. So they all had the same uniform and dinosaurs. They're what? Dinosaurs pushed dinosaurs pushed over the pole, the ones that are being controlled by the lich. Oh, good. You're right. The dinosaurs forgot about them. Yeah. Uh, so Tara, she's searching a muddy old backpack, and uh, Glenn and Rosita, they go, they catch a fish with the net they've cut out of the out of these jackets. They share a little moment there because they're all happy about catching a fish, where he sort of officially welcomes her into the group and says, "You're you're with us now." Officially. Oh, <laughs> yes, officially. <laughs> and Tara holds up her hand and says, you're not going to believe what I found in this backpack. She's very happy about something she's found, but we don't know what it is. Oh, it could be treasure. It is a treasure, but we go back to the church and uh, Michonne comes to Gabe's door. He's been resting all this time, I guess. And he opens the door a little bit, but, uh, and she tells him that everything, you know, they have to do to survive is worth it. She's saying, I know you don't like this, but it is worth it. You get to live if you know how to do these sorts of things. Yep. He's like, okay, thanks. Um, that's really helpful. So he closes the door and then we see him go back to prying up the floorboards with his new machete. Right. So that's what he's using the machete for, not for training purposes or to keep himself safe. He just, he needs something to pry up the floorboards. That's right. He He's trying to get out, I guess, or he's got something hidden under there. Do you ever try and pry out a tongue and groove floorboard? Uh, no, but I imagine it's not easy. They're all like interlocked in tongue and groove. You can't just pry one of those things up. No, you'd have to hit it with the axe a few times first. Yeah. So yeah, anyway. Well, I don't know. Maybe they're I'm not just nitpicking again. It's an old church. Maybe they're not tongue and groove. Maybe they're just floorboards lay down beside each other. Kind of no, look like tongue it. and groove. Were they? Yeah. All right. Fine. <laughs> He's got a machete, man. Machete's a strong, powerful tool. Okay. 
we go to the hospital and Beth has some strawberries in her hand. She gives them to an older bearded gentleman waiting outside his door. And he starts to really fake, it's all right. He starts to fake cough and cause a distraction. And while people are attending to him, Beth sneaks over to the medicine locker, opens it, get and gets what she needs for Carol. And uh, then she closes it up, passes by the hall. The, the old man suddenly recovers, says, no, I'm fine. Everything's good. And she goes to Carol's room and puts the medicine in her IV stream. Right. And then goes, Carol, Carol, like it's like it's a magic potion that's going to wake her up. Yeah. She says, I just want you to know I'm here. You know, it's it's touching Beth. She's helping her friend here. It's true. After the commercial break, we're back in the city again. Uh, Tyrese and Sasha are loading a car, and she rips Bob's jacket. It looks like it gets stuck on a crowbar. Now, this kind of upsets her, and uh, Tyrese tells her that, you know, she's lucky because she had the chance to say goodbye to Bob, which not many people do, and she should she should hold on to that. You know, yeah. everyone else just dies, but she had the chance to say goodbye to her boyfriend and that's what she should remember. So, you know, it'll take a while to heal, but seriously, get over it, woman. It's kind of, kind of what he's saying. Yeah. Your boyfriend died like what, two days ago? Forget about it. Yeah. Forget about it. You'll be fine. But most people don't get that chance, right? So yeah. she should be happy. They hug and seem to be doing okay. But she also throws the crowbar down on the ground out of disgust. Yeah. Take it out on the crowbar. crowbar. Yeah. All right. In the church, Gabe climbs down his hole. He climbs out below the church. He's now outside. He takes one step and ends up with a nail through his shoe into his foot, which is bad. This is why you always keep a clean construction site. They obviously didn't have one of those magnet things that you run around the ground to pick up stray nails. Those are awesome. I have one. They're handy when you're like doing your roof. Nails fall down sometimes, so you got to pick them up. Yeah, one step. He ends up with a nail through his shoe. He just, no, you know, no breaks for this guy. He pulls it out and then he limps off into the forest. Don't know where he's going. Forest walking. I guess he just wanted to go for a walk. Yeah. Yeah. We go to the warehouse and Rick is getting a little bit of intel on Dawn from Lamson, who they've still got tied up. He says she'll resist, but we'll make a deal eventually, which uh, is good. Rick seems to be rather friendly with uh, Sergeant Lampson, he calls him. But then he reveals that his name is Bob. And of course, Sasha's right there and goes, (gasps) Bob! Another Bob? Another! What are the chances? (laughs) We cut into the forest now, and Gabe is walking along. He hears some noises and suddenly gets attacked by a stealth zombie. Zombie's nowhere to be seen until he turns around and she's right on top of him. Mm -hmm. He manages to fight her off and he gets her down, staked over a a piece of wood in the ground and he's about to smash her face in with a rock. But just as he's about to do it, he sees a cross around her neck and and then he drops the rock because he can't do it. This uh, this zombie wriggling around on this uh, stake that's sticking out of the ground and her just her innards moving around was the awesomest thing it was wicked cool it was awesome i thought it looked really good um almost more impressive than than all the like mashed up burnt up zombies that were on the fema parking lot those are pretty good too but this uh this particular this was a a digital effect it wasn't a practical effect but it it looked awesome 
they did a nice job on this one for sure. Yeah. But uh, Gabe can't do it. He's he almost he comes this close to killing a zombie, but he he sees the cross and he has to back off. So he just walks off again and leaves her there. Well, she stuck to the stake on the ground. Well, I That's know, good. but he, he could have he could have put her out of her misery. If it was a vampire, she'd be dead. That's true. If this was a show about <laughs> vampires, boy, he'd have no trouble. <laughs> yeah. All right, back in the warehouse. Lamson is sitting there fretting about something. It's just him and Sasha now. He tells Sasha that one of the walkers, the burnt-up walkers in the parking lot, was a guy he knew, and he tells her a story about them early on after the outbreak moving people around, um, but Don sent another guy out to get the last truckload of people instead of him, and that guy ended up dying and being stuck to the parking lot there. And he says it would have been, you know, Lamson's like, that would have been me if I had just been been out there. So he's feeling rather guilty about this. Yep. And uh, Sasha, after her, I guess, after her heartwarming conversation with Tyrese a few minutes before, is feeling all helpful. And she decides to help this guy out by saying, look, I'm a good shot. Let's go to a window. I can take him out and uh, he won't have to suffer anymore. Yep. So great idea. Um, but as we will see, it's not such a great idea. First, we go to the fire truck and Abe continues to kneel on the pavement. <laughs> He's been there for a while now. I'm telling you, his knees must be just hurting. Ma- yeah. Maggie's still there by herself. She goes over, offers him some water, and he asks if Abe actually wanted her to shoot him earlier. And his answer was, he thought he did, but really he didn't. Right. I guess he was still working through his issues at that point, and now he's good, and, uh, you know, he's coming He's coming back around. He's, he's realizing that he may have something to live for after all. Yeah, it's just kind of weird that he would sit there to kind of figure that out. I'd go for a walk, personally. Well, that's you. I, but I'd be like, see you later, I'll be back maybe in uh, an hour or a couple of days or something. Yeah, I don't know. He's he's kind of in shock, right? And I guess everyone deals with it a little differently. So he decided to just shut down, sit there on the pavement, and and work it out in his own mind. Um, yeah. Some other people might need to go for a walk, you know, or whatever. Uh, but the, just then, Eugene makes kind of a zombie noise. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, he's dead, he's coming back. But he actually asks for help. He sort of zombie asks for help. Maggie goes over to him to help out, and Abe picks up the water. That's the symbol. That's the sign that he is back. He's taken the water, and he's going to drink. He's accepted help. He uh, he is, you know, coming back to the land of the living, yeah. He's still got blood all over his hands, um, and it still looked kind of wet and fresh. You'd think if he'd been sitting there long enough, it would have dried, but um, I thought it was a really good shot, actually, just low to the ground all you could see was the water and maybe his knee or something like that you can the road extends out beyond them and then his bloody hand comes down and just picks up the water and the shot and this the score that was playing at this moment i thought they did a really good job with that bit yep really really good all right we go to glenn tara and rosita they're coming back and tara has a yo-yo. A yo-yo. <laughs> she found a yo-yo in that backpack, and that's what she was all excited about, I have to assume. Well, yeah, I would assume so, too. Maybe there's two yo-yos, and they can uh, they can have a yo-yo competition. Well, that would just pass the time for hours right there. I can remember being in high school when uh, a yo-yo craze went through my high school, and everybody was walking around with yo-yos just constantly, all day, every day. 
Fancy. I know. I, I don't think that ever happened at my high school. Well, it did in mine. I don't know if it was if it was just my school or if it extended citywide, but I don't know. It was it was a big thing for a little while there. I don't remember what grade, but sometime during high school it was fun. I got pretty good at yo-yoing for a while. Did you? Yeah. You still have a yo-yo? I got one right here. <laughs> Do you? Well, you should. Uh, <laughs> that's just you a pull weird... it out after seeing this show. No, that's just a weird coincidence. My kids found a yo-yo in one of the toy bins over there just the other day, and it happens to be on the table. All right, well, you have to show me some tricks later. Oh, I'd have to practice, but maybe. Uh, So she's got the yo-yo. They come back to the road, and they decide to ignore the zombie herd as they head back to the truck. So they're feeling good about themselves. They're like, you know, we got water. We got a fish. We got a net. We can catch more fish. We got a couple of fish. Yeah. just have one fish. Well, whatever. They got some fish. They got Rosita's backstory. I mean, they got a lot of stuff on this trip. It was a time well spent it was a good trip and they're not going to let a few thousand zombies ruin their good mood those zombies are over there doing their thing we're going to be over here doing ours exactly so they head back down the road we we cut into the warehouse again lamson and sasha are now up at the window he goes up to the window and he points out the zombie he's talking about he's like that one right there i want you to shoot that one so she lines up the shot and just before she takes it, she turns to say something, but he charges at her, smashes her head into the glass. Sasha's knocked out on the ground. Is that the appropriate term? Knocked out? Knocked out is good. Okay. Unconscious on the ground. And Lamson runs off, runs away. The end. Super fast. Yeah, he was, he was really moving. And his hands were bound behind his back. So um, that makes running even harder because your balance yeah, is that all was off. some. Good- That was some good run in there. It was. So first question for you, Jason, about this final scene. Did you believe for a second at any point that Lamson was actually being genuine or was he playing them the whole time and could you see it coming a mile away? Well, I saw it coming a mile away. I don't know if he was planning it the whole time, but uh, as soon as he said, uh, as soon as Sasha said that she would help him, that he was scheming to uh, to do this. I don't think the whole thing was a plan. I think that he was trying to get away mm-hmm. and that uh, an opportunity presented itself and he took it. But you don't think his, his whole motivation, like the, you don't think he was just bullshitting the whole time and saying, you know, saying whatever he needed to say to get them kind of on his side? I think so. Yeah, I would say that. And... I thought it was rather obvious in this episode. I don't see how anyone could think that or could could watch this play out and be like, maybe he really is trying to help them. As soon as she had her back to him at that window, I'm like, he's going to push her out the window. And he didn't exactly do that, but same thing, right? I think what training they need to have and what Rick needs to uh, to provide to these people is how to control their prisoners. Yeah. You do not let your prisoner behind you. Mm-hmm. If you need to turn your back on a prisoner, you tie him to something. Sit down. I'm going to zip tie you to this pole. Mm-hmm. You stay right there, and then I'll go do whatever I need to do. When you take a you know a suspect into uh, a police station, they are usually handcuffed to an eye bolt to a desk so that they don't just get up and leave or get up and do something untoward you keep control of your prisoners so sasha failed that uh, that particular task she as soon as she allowed him to stand up uh 
that was bad because he he has all kinds of control. Like when somebody stands up, you keep your hand on him. You stand behind him and you hold on to the cuffs, the zip cuffs or whatever. So if they try and run, you give him a yank and he comes back. Like it's really hard to run away and break away when somebody's hanging onto the cuffs when your hands are tied behind your back. Yeah, you're totally right. And the other thing is why not bind his legs? Maybe just enough so that he can walk or or once or let him walk up there and then sit him down on the ground and at least sit him down or sit him down and bind his feet together. He can't charge at you then. Like it's a little too Sasha just made it way too easy for him to get the better of her really. Yeah, or you do what uh, what Walter did in the first season of uh, Breaking Bad. You uh, you take a U lock from a bike and you chain that guy's neck to a pole. That oh, guy yeah. ain't going nowhere. No, he is stuck there. That would be one of the most uncomfortable and just you could be in a room the size of the vehicle assembly building at the Cape Canaveral. If you had your neck U locked to a pole, that would be the most claustrophobic room I've ever been in. I'm gonna tell you that I've actually had my neck you locked to a pole <laughs> of course of course but you have. this was it was a a basketball court in uh i think it was grade eight or something like that but just for fun i had my friend alan lock me to a pole how long were you there for uh probably 30 seconds at most it wasn't very long like it wasn't it was just i wanted to see if the lock would actually fit around my neck and this pole and to see what it was like i was like wow it's a good thing i trust you because that would have been bad if he left it really would have been. You did some crazy crap when you were younger. <laughs> I'm just saying that that kind of, like being that restricted in that way would just be the worst feeling like I've ever, you, I, for me, it would just be the worst feeling I could imagine. You could right. be in a huge room, but you're so restricted. And it, it, the fact that it's your neck would just make me feel like, like the panic would ensue quickly. So anyways, if you want to restrain someone, it's a good, it's a good way to do it. Yeah, and Rick's bad at it too. I'm not sure if Rick's the right one to teach this class because when uh, when Daryl was fighting with that police officer and whacked him on the head with the other guy's head and uh, Rick had the gun on him, everybody stood up, including the guy, right? And the guy was probably, he had his hands free. He was completely in control of whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, he, and Rick allowed him to stand up. That was a mistake. You know, it's like I would be... Uh, you know, get on your knees, okay, lie on your belly, put your hands behind your head because then it's difficult to get up from that position because uh, as soon as you start to get up, you have to telegraph that a mile away and uh, everybody can see what you're trying to do. The thing is Rick did, like the first time they got the two cops, the, you know, he did tell them to get down on their knees and drop their weapons. Yeah. I, the, I think the difference with this guy after the Daryl fight was that Rick was intending on killing him. I think Rick was like, you know, you still you, don't let him stand up. If you're going to shoot somebody in the head, you want him in control. You want to be in control of that person. You leave them on their knees. That's why when people execute somebody by shooting them in the head, the person being executed is probably on their knees. Yeah, no, you're right. It's usually they are, I suppose. But I think Rick wasn't really thinking about that. He was like, I'm going to kill this guy because, you know, he's clearly a threat. And he just hesitated long enough for Daryl to talk him out of it. That's why the guy was standing up. I think if Rick had intended to keep him alive, he would have said, stay down or get down. You know, you don't need right. to be standing up right now. But he was going to shoot him in the head and just move on. Um, so he was he was more thinking about murder than capture. <laughs> yeah. So. so this whole episode, uh, if you take one thing away from it, it is control your prisoners, people. 
because uh, that was bad examples all around in this episode. All around. Well, what what did you think about this episode otherwise, though, Jason? Did you like it? Did you think it was better than the last few? Um, how did you feel I, on this one? I liked that they interwove the three story locations mm-hmm. instead of you know having a whole episode of one of them because that was boring the last couple of times they did that. So this was better because it took three you know distinct stories. And told them at the same time, and it got rid of a lot of the crap. So I liked that. Uh Uh-huh. I totally agree with that. And I think this one proved that it's, well, I mean, we had lots of episodes like this over five years, but I think considering the last few, this one proved that you can take these, um, you can take these multiple stories, cut them together and not lose anything. You can still tell just as compelling a story with less, less bits from each one, right? So I, I think overall I like this this one because uh, it told the story in a way that I liked, and uh, all the uh, the three plot lines kind of moved forward, mm-hmm. and they kind of interwove a little bit. Well, except for the we've got people at the fire truck that didn't really have anything to do with the other two stories, but the other two stories were kind of interwoven, mm-hmm. which was nice. So uh, I think overall I like this episode. Yeah, I agree. I like this one quite a bit too. Um, and uh, you, you're right. It's uh. It, I just, I'll say it again. We didn't, I didn't feel like we lost anything because we only, because we focused on multiple groups instead of just one. In fact, I think we gained something. I think the pacing was better. It was, um, there was less, uh, you know, they were cramming, they were cramming more in, but in a good way, you know, with, with the Beth episode, they spread it all out so much and it felt like nothing ever happened and they had, they had half a story for a full episode. Here, it felt like they had just the right amount for each group, and that was it. Even the three, uh, you know, Glenn, the Glenn, Tara, and Rosita, who were off, you know, searching for water and fish. Like you'd think that would be the most boring thing ever. I I thought they did it really well. I thought we learned something about those characters while they were out, and it wasn't wasted screen time at all. Right. So I think they did a really good job on this one, and I'm glad to see it to see it worked out and uh, we will see what happens next week when Mm -hmm. um, next week, you know, I was expecting this episode to bring everyone back together and then everybody would be involved in whatever they're going to do at the hospital to try and get Beth and Carol out. I clearly that doesn't seem to be the case. We've still got our fire truck group stuck there. Um, We've got a few people stuck at the church still and then we've got one select group going to the going to the city to on the rescue mission. Mm-hmm. And I think next week's midseason finale will be strictly the group in Atlanta rescuing everyone from the hospital if they can. Well, on the fire truck, people getting back to the church. Yeah, you're right. They'll probably get back to the church and be like, "Hey, where's everybody?" Um, now here's a Which question. Which is what I said was going to happen, right? Yeah. Going to show up and go, "Where is everybody? <laughs> What's going on?" Um. Here's a question for you. Did it strike you odd that they would take Tyrese on the mission to the city and leave Michonne at the, uh, at the church? Because Tyrese is being uh, kind of wishy-washy about killing people, and Michonne's never been really wishy-washy about killing people. I feel like Michonne is an asset you'd want to have on your side if you are doing what they're about to do in the city. Whereas Tyrese is a guy who might be able to hang back and, 
you know, we know Tyrese can deal with stuff when he needs to, more or less. Yep. Like, he didn't kill Martin, but he he can kill zombies with the best of them. So, you know, maybe leave him back there and take Michonne. I don't know. The only thing I can think of is Michonne and Carl have a very strong relationship. And so if yeah, Carl... But Tyrese and, and Judith have a very strong relationship. You're, you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. But I don't know. I mean... I was thinking more about Carl. If you're going to leave Carl there, essentially by himself or with this mystery or with this Gabe, who's essentially still a stranger to them, um, you know, maybe maybe you want someone who's a little stronger to stay back just in case shit goes bad at the church while they're gone. Well, you also have to remember that Tyrese and Carol are close. Mm-hmm. So Tyrese probably wanted to go to help save Carol. And maybe he Michonne wa- could care less. Yeah, that's true. Well... Yeah, I guess so. But remember the conversation with Carol and uh, with uh, Rick and Michonne. They're saying, you know, we owe Carol, and and she says we all owe Carol. But even though Rick goes on to say I owe her more, but still, like the connection between Michonne and Carol, I think exists, but yeah. maybe not as strong as her and Carl because they traveled together for a little while there after the prison, right? Right. So well, the only thing I can think of, like from story wise, the reason I'm thinking it is that uh, Tyrese knows Carol and wants to help save her. Yeah, and Mich- uh, Michonne and uh, Carl are close, and they make a pretty good team, so uh, they could hang back. Uh, so story wise, I think I can explain it that way. Uh, you know, writing wise, uh, if um, uh, if Tyrese wasn't with the group in Atlanta, nobody would have said, "Hey, let's uh, let's capture a couple of guys instead of going in guns a blazing," because they would have probably just gone in guns a blazing, and you know that would screw up the plot. Well, unless Daryl came to that realization as well, he seemed to agree with it, right? So, yeah, I, I don't know. Anyways, it just struck me as a little bit funny. Like you take the guy who's having a crisis killing anyone and you leave the killing machine back at the uh, back at the church. So I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, you can justify it when you sort of talk it out, but at the in the moment, it seemed a little strange to me. Yep. All right, but hey, good episode overall, and uh, hopefully next week's mid-season finale is even better. Um, this season is a real sort of reverse bell curve where it starts really strong, sort of a big dip down in the middle, and hopefully at the end it finishes really strong. Yeah. Right? Perfect. Well, what's what's that called? Uh, I don't know. A bell curve is the bell. one where it, it, it humps in the middle, right? It's some kind of trough. No humping. It's a bell trough? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. All right. I'm sure somebody does. Uh, all righty, Jason, let's take a little quick break. And when we come back, uh, we got lots more. Holy craps. So stay tuned for that.
All right. Thanks for listening to the Talking Dead podcast, everybody. If you would like to help support the show, you can do so in a couple of ways. One way is to go to Patreon and uh, support us there. That's patreon.com slash the talking dead, where you can make a small monthly uh, pledge, all of which goes into help uh, the cost of putting on this here podcast. You can also use our Amazon links. Now that we're getting into the holiday season, I know Thanksgiving is wrapping up down there in the States. And after that, it's uh, Black Friday and full swing into the holiday shopping season. So if you're in the States and you need to do some shopping at Amazon, please use our Amazon link at amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com before you do that shopping. And a small percentage of your purchase will come to us and it doesn't cost you anything extra. We also have Amazon stores in a number of other countries, including the UK, Canada, Spain, Germany, and France. Canada? <laughs> we do have Canada now. We have Canada now? We do. That's awesome. It's exciting. So if you want to use any of those, what you want to do is use a similar link and uh, just change the beginning to Amazon and your country code. So Canada would be amazonca.talkingdeadpodcast.com. Germany, for example, would be amazonde.talkingdeadpodcast.com. But if you have a poor memory and all you want to do is remember one link, remember this one. Talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon. And there you'll be able to choose the store, choose the country link that you that best suits you, and uh, go from there. So um, hopefully everyone can do that when they're doing their holiday shopping and anytime you do shopping at Amazon. We really, really appreciate it. And we thank each and every person that listens and helps support the show. Did you see that? Alrighty, time to get into the holy crap section of the show where people send in little moments they pick out from the episode that made them say, holy crap, did you see that? To whoever may be sitting there watching them, watching the show with them. Could be their significant other, could be their pet, could be the voices in their head, could be nobody. And the first one this week is from Sebastian in Pennsylvania. Sebastian writes, My holy crap, did you see that moment? Was the old guy's really convincing acting. Also, where are they getting strawberries from? <laughs> from the kitchen. I, the kitchen, I don't see why they couldn't be growing strawberries, frankly, right? Yeah, up on the roof, they had a whole bunch of plants. Yeah, oh, that's right, on the plants they had I mean, on the roof, they had plants. On the plants, on they the had plants, a roof. they had roofs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so they're probably growing strawberries up there. Strawberries grow in all sorts of climate. So, uh, yeah, if you why can. Did, why did Beth have strawberries? How, how did Beth get the strawberries? Well, she stole them from the, the fridge in the cafeteria, probably. And uh, it only takes two strawberries to get someone to fake bronchitis or whatever that guy did. It's, it's a small price to pay. It is a small, maybe he was allergic to strawberries and he needed them to fake the, the illness. Oh, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe <laughs> she knew he was allergic and she's like, here, take these. And he just had a coughing fit. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Next we have Grace in New Hampshire. My holy crap moment 
was Daryl grabbing a walker by its eyes and bashing the police officer in the head with it. We have seen some pretty strange and gruesome things on The Walking Dead, but this uh, has far exceeded anything before. Uh, it brings the show to a whole new level, and the producers have big shoes to fill creatively. Big shoes to fill. I mean, they do, to a certain degree, kind of keep trying to one-up themselves. Yeah. But I liked this one. I didn't mind it at all. You know, if you're on the ground getting strangled, you're going to flail your arms around and reach for whatever you can to try and bash the guy off of you. And in this case, it just happened to be um, a, a rotting zombie whose eyeballs he could squish out and smash him with a head. <laughs> yeah, it's a new kind of headbutt. It really is. Yeah. All right, Donnie in North Augusta, South Carolina. My holy crap moment was when Maggie hears Eugene starting to wake up and she goes around the fire truck to check on him. His moan sounded sort of like that of a walker, and I totally expected her to go around there and find him turned. Uh, yeah, that would be unsurprising, really. It, it would, but when he woke up, he kind of mumbled some words, and that's how... He did. Like, they reached for their weapons, and then they heard him say something, and they knew he was he was okay, so... Okay, next we have an email from Steve in Georgia. Holy crap, did you see the KFWs? That's a short for Kentucky Fried Walkers. Even better, they were uh, FEMA KFWs who were by the looks of it, DOA, and then reanimated, and our group needed to kill the FEMA KFWs who were DOA, A-S-A-P. <laughs> Good work. A lot of acronyms there. Um, Kentucky Fried Walkers. What does Walkers. FEMA stand for? I didn't... Uh, oh, I looked it up one time. Um, do you remember when FEMA played a part in Breaking Bad? I looked it up then. Oh, um, Federal it, Emergency Management Agency. That's what it is. There you yeah. go. So... What's happening in that scene is I think that is a location that had been um, bombed, I think, when Atlanta was bombed, right? And that's why those walkers were so mangled up on the ground. It sure looked bombed out, yeah. Everything yeah. was burnt and brown and black. Burnt and brown. All right, next we got a thank you, Steve, in Georgia for that uh, FEMA KFW's DOAASAP. Next is Ken in Sacramento. This is Ken from Sacramento, and my holy crap moment from this episode came near the beginning. There's an image of Glenn looking down the road at the herd of zombies, and then the camera pulls back, and you see that Glenn is standing near a traffic sign that says, Buckle up, it's the law. And um, it's like the two of them were twins. Glenn's wearing a red shirt, black pistol belt with the black rifle strap slung across his shoulder. And the uh, sign has an image of the state of Georgia in red with a Sam Brown type belt on. So I, I'm wondering if they dress Glenn to look like the sign or if it was a happy coincidence. But either way, I thought it was really cool. <laughs> they dressed Glenn up to look just like the sign. <laughs> yeah, he looks like a sign. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, why not? It's it's good. Um, uh, it's a good uh, mirroring right there. Sign and Side Glenn. by eachage. There you go. Side by yeah. eachage. Yeah, so uh, next we have an email, uh, Angie from Hall Green. Holy crap, the relief I felt at seeing Rick this week was unbelievable. The Walking Dead is a great ensemble cast, but many of them are only supporting actors. They don't have the experience or talent to carry an episode alone, as we have seen. So to have the group back on screen together, even though they, even though they were still split, uh, made me breathe a huge sigh of relief. Also, when will, they, when will they learn to trust Rick's instincts? As soon as they went against his plan, I knew this was all doomed to fail. Thank you, Angie. The thing about this is, 
I I have been kind of disappointed with these bottle episodes focusing on a single character, but I personally don't think the problem with them has been the acting. Like, I don't think Beth no. Beth's acting was that weak. Yes, she's a secondary character, and maybe her story isn't quite enough to support a full episode, but I don't think the problem was Beth. Or, I don't think it's necessarily acting either. Well, like, that's what I mean. You can be a fantastic actor and still uh, not be able to carry an episode. That's that's what I mean. Like, I don't think it was Emily Kinney's problem in, in Slabtown. I think it was the fact that there just wasn't enough there and it didn't provide enough story movement for us, right? right. Um, same thing with um, the Daryl and Carol episode. Those are fantastic actors and... Even they, I thought, couldn't quite hold that old that episode together on their own, and it's not their fault. It's that it was a bit of a writing letdown. You know, yeah. they they well, didn't. I mean, so some actors just can't do it. Look at Jason Sudeikis; he's a funny guy. He can't carry a movie to save his life. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if I've ever seen a movie where he's supposed to be carrying it. Well, there are a few movies out there where he's the principal uh, actor, and it's just not. It just doesn't work. All right. Well, that's... He's a supporting actor. Sure, and that's fine. But I would call, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily call uh, Melissa McBride or Norman Reedus supporting actors. You know, they... No, that's more of an ensemble cast kind of thing. But that's just two of them. I mean, but like, I think Norman Reedus could carry a movie. Like, he could be the star, the lead role in a movie or a TV episode, but it didn't work here, in my opinion, and it's not his fault. It's just because they weren't given enough to work with. Right? Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. All right. Uh, thanks, Angie. Next one comes Darcy in Narnargoon, Australia. And he says, yes, this is an actual place. I don't get it either. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good name. Narnargoon. Sounds like a bad Star Wars character. Uh, my holy crap for this week was when Daryl was fighting with the cop outside the FEMA van. How the actual legitimate fuck did Daryl not get his fingers scratched in the mouth of that walker that he bashed the cop with? From what I saw, he had his fingers in the walker's mouth and then took them out pretty quickly, and the way they scraped against the walker's teeth leaves me at an absolute loss as to how they did not break Daryl's skin. Unless the nerf heads on the walkers mean that by extension they have nerf teeth. Hmm... It's a lack of calcium is the problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, teeth uh, are bones, and if the bones are soft like skulls, then maybe the teeth are soft too. <laughs> maybe we're, maybe all of humanity is turning into sharks where they don't have very many bones. They're just mostly cartilage. Hmm, maybe. Could be. I think uh, I think that was supposed to represent a close call when Daryl was reaching because I did see his fingers go into that walker's mouth or uh, lurker or, you know, zombie puddle, whatever you want to call it. Yep. His fingers did go into his mouth, but he didn't clamp down, so I don't think he got bit. So I, I don't think the you know uh, uh, zombie teeth are like uh, snake fangs, where if you touch them, you're going to get poison on you. Uh, I think it's you know they have to break the skin, and it's actually pretty difficult to break the skin. Uh, so I, I think that was just supposed to represent a close call. Mm -hmm. Boy, he almost got bit there. Did you see that? That was pretty close, and it was it the way he did get the skull, I mean, through the eye sockets, that was way more effective from a, oh my God, gore, you know, perspective. Yeah. Really awesome. So next we have an email from Randy in Romeo, Michigan. My holy crap moment was Carl's reference to the soft skulls when he was talking to Gabriel. 
Nice to see soft skulls are finally being talked about, even if it is in passing. Yeah, and moving right along, James in Pittsburgh said, My, uh, holy crap, Daryl uses the only somewhat solid walker head as a weapon. I was waiting for it to crumble like a rotten pumpkin when he swung it. Perhaps this is why Carl addressed the softness not being consistent with Gabriel earlier uh, in the episode. It all fits together like a, a puzzle. It, it does. They had to have Carl make that point so that we know that not all of their heads are like Nerf footballs, that some of them actually have a little bit of consistency to them so that when Daryl reaches to pick one up, he's able to whack a guy with it and do some damage. Right. So, uh, yeah, because if it wasn't like a, a soft skull, it would have taken Daryl nine hours to beat that guy to death with that uh, that guy's skull. And by then, Rick would have just shown up and shot him in the back of the head. So that's right. Wow, that's good. All right. So next we have an email from Bill in Toronto. My holy crap moment was when Sasha fell for the good cop turned bad cop routine. This would not normally bother me, but come on, Sasha, you have you have a history of judging people who turned out not to be who you thought they were. Uh, she has been fooled by the governor's charm, and those nice people from Terminus seemed cool for a bit, too. The only person that she was skeptical skeptical about was the reverend, and he actually seems trustworthy. Holy crap, Sasha, your judge of character really sucks. Yep, really sucks. The one guy who you might want to trust is the priest, and she doesn't trust him at all. So, thank you, Bill in Toronto. Next is Gala in Maple, Ontario. Anyone who has any knowledge of medicine and pulling meds for injection will know that if Beth injected Carol the way she pulled the epinephrine, Carol is dead. Is already dead. Pulling the med the way she did, she left a huge air bubble in the syringe, <laughs> which she then injected into Carol's IV. Injecting an air bubble that big into an IV will lead to an air bubble in the bloodstream, leading to cardiac arrest. So good job, Beth. You really did just kill that woman. Wow. I've always, you know... Air bubble or bubble in your bloodstream is one of the things that wakes me up at night. <laughs> I don't really? know. It's just one of those things that frightens me. Ever since I heard about getting the bends when, when scuba diving yeah. and you come up too fast, and you end up with a bubble in your bloodstream and then you die. I've, you don't necessarily die. The, the bubbles get into your joints and stuff and really messes you up. Okay, but... I think you're, well, maybe you don't always die, but I think bubble in your bloodstream once it hits your heart is pretty bad. And I think a lot of the time you die from that, don't you? Like, like Gayla said. I don't know. I don't know. It's one of the things that really freaks me out for some reason. So, uh. Well, the, the, when you're scuba diving, basically it puts all, everything in your body under pressure, right? So mm -hmm. when you start metabolizing nitrogen, it's nitrogen under pressure. And if you come up too fast, the nitrogen will basically turn back into a gas, uh, in your bloodstream and in else other places in your body. So I think that if they, if you do get nitrogen, like a bit of nitrogen in your joints or whatever, when they, when they expand there, you're, you get all twisted and your joints don't work. But I guess if you're, if you get nitrogen in your bloodstream, then you get a, a bubble of nitrogen, which is pretty much air. And then, uh, that, that could kill you. So I think it might all depend where you get the bubble. Okay. Well, so, I, I never really thought about getting them anywhere else. I just thought you come up too fast, you get bubbles in your blood and then you die. I didn't realize it could happen somewhere else, but it, that sounds, you know, unpleasant as well at the very least imagine getting one in your eye and your eye just oh, kind of goes see see this is why i wake up at night in, <laughs> Sorry. in, in cold sweats like just don't go diving man i've never been you know diving. how hard well then the <laughs> issue is not really a problem for you doesn't matter as long as your as long as your bed doesn't go like a hundred feet underwater 
and you survive the experience, you should be okay. Yeah, but it's just, it's stupid. Like, I hear about things like this, and then I worry that, well, maybe that could happen some other way. You know, like, I don't know. It just... If it could have happened another way, if it's possible at all, it would have made the news. You would have heard about it. I guess. There's a lot of weird stuff out there that's pretty rare, but I still worry about it. <laughs> all right. Well, that's too bad. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm I have problems that way. All right. So next we have an email from Michael on the internet. My holy crap moment was the nail that went through Gabriel's foot. What was this foreshadowing of some kind of religious reference? Man who decides, uh, sorry, man who dedicates his life to God gets a nail through his foot like the man who he worships. Yep. I don't see why not. I mean, he takes one step and he gets a nail through his foot. Well, there you go. All right. Finally, Michael in Ozark, Missouri. All those O's intentional, I assume, on Michael's part. Says, holy crap, we got Rosita's backstory of where she came across Abraham and why she does what she does in one conversation at the creek. It didn't take a bunch of flashbacks or an entire episode. Writers take note. You can tell a lot of story with just some well-written dialogue. Or a, a nice voiceover. I wanted to put this one last because it sums up everything I felt like in this episode when compared to the last three of silly flashbacks and not enough story for an hour's worth of TV. So thank you, Michael, for pointing that out. I think he's, I think he's absolutely right. We learned everything we need to learn about Rosita in one conversation with another character, and it didn't even take that long. Right. Well, that's when it's a nice person that's willing to talk about their past. You know, you get somebody who's a little ornery and a little judgmental and a little bit crazy and maybe has red hair. Uh, you know, their backstory, you can't just ask them, hey, what? Uh, why are you so crazy, man? And he, and he says, well, I lost my family. They all died. But then I found this, uh, you know, this this mofo here. And uh, now he's my reason to live. But I don't like him like I like my family. But uh, she's okay. Right. You know, he's not just going to talk about his, his history. He's going to say uh, F you and uh, pull out his knife. Yeah, he's not going to talk about it. We're going to need a whole episode and weird flashbacks. And uh, look, I'm not saying I'm absolutely against the bottle episodes or I'm not against flashbacks or drawing someone's story out over a period of time, but it has to be done well. And I don't think recently it has been done all that well, even though I liked the Abraham episode more so than the other the other two in the three pack of bottle episodes here. Right. Anyways, I, I just thought Michael summed it up really nicely here. One conversation, learned everything we need to know about Rosita. Didn't feel weird at all, and it really worked. So thank you, Michael. Okay, um, that's it for this week on the podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, as I said off the top, I am traveling to Vancouver tomorrow. So Monday's episode or uh, Wednesday's episode may be a little weird. Hopefully we can do it. I don't like to uh, skip a week and I don't like to leave anyone hanging. So we'll try to find a way to do something for you. But if it doesn't happen on Wednesday, it might be a different day or I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but I do, when do you come back. I come back next Monday evening. So the first thing oh, I so do when I get off the plane is sit down here to record our recap of the uh, season, uh, the mid-season finale. <laughs> Jeez, what time do you land? Uh, 5.45 p.m. So I should be home around uh, 7-ish. 
Perfect timing to start recording. Perfect timing. Don't say hi to your family. Don't even look at your kids. Just sit down and press record. Yeah, this is what happened the last time I traveled, too. I got back on a Monday, came straight down to the studio, and uh, started recording. So I will be watching next week's episode on the plane home, probably, making the notes. So that's not going to be a problem. We will be we'll be back for that. It's just this week's feedback episode. I don't know exactly when we'll get it done, but we'll do our best to get something out for you. All right. And if we uh, if there's a, a problem at all, at all, it's not my fault because I'm willing to accommodate whatever schedule that uh, you may have, Chris, and whatever you need, I'm there. I will uh, I will do it. Thank you. thank you very much. Will you fly to Vancouver, meet me in my hotel room, and record with me? I'm booking my flights right now. All right, perfect. So no problem, everyone. Jason's going to Vancouver. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, so uh, that's it. If you want to get in touch, please do continue to send in the feedback. Uh, just the fact that there could be a weird episode coming up in a couple of days, don't let that deter you. Uh, make sure you give us a call at one 483 Tweet us at Talking Dead on Twitter and visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Dead. And of course, continue to send your emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Um, and of course, there's the send voicemail button on our website as well. You can use that to record a message right in your internet browser and fire it straight over to us. So that's a whole bunch of good ways to get in touch. Um, remember to use our Amazon links, talkingdeadpodcast.com slash Amazon to choose your region. And uh, visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash thetalkingdead. Thanks to everyone who supports the show. All right, that's enough. Um, Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.